All right. So Jack Campbell is not Marty Brodeur. He's not Carey Price in the puck handling department. That much uh, we're pretty sure of. As long as he, he doesn't play the puck outside of his crease, he's pretty pretty damn solid. And uh, perfect 5 for 5. He's 5-0 and oh this season. 10 for 10 in points for Mr. Jack Campbell in his first start as, I guess, the presumptive number one goalie for this team. Uh, let's talk to Christopher Stieg, former NHL forward, sports and analyst, kind enough to join us online right now. What's going on, Chris? Yeah, get rid of Freddie. He's no good, guys. I didn't say that. But I will say, if that's an audition, I kind of, I don't just throw out those two goals, but those are not, no, JD's giving me a face. Like, <laughs> I thought they he beat made the some... Ottawa Senators, and he was the reason they gave up the two goals they gave up. Like, what are we I doing think he here? Was How many the reason they killed off... four? They they also killed off a penalty because of him and a big pad save. Okay, so disagreement. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> I I think Jack Campbell's doing great, but everyone's been sure. all over Freddie. There's a big difference. I, I talked about this last week too, between being a starting goaltender and a backup, and it relies on the pressure. David Riddich out in Calgary, everyone's like, can he be a starter? Can he be a starter? He obviously isn't a starter, but he's a really good backup because when the case loads on you as a starter, each and every night it lies on you as a backup. The pressure's not there, so it's kind of like when you're playing an Ottawa Senators team. They play pretty good right now because there's no pressure on them. But what if you put pressure on the Ottawa Senators and they're in the playoff race? How do they react then? That's the same with a backup goaltender and a starting goaltender. This whole Freddie Jack thing, Freddie's been fine. He hasn't been great. Obviously, he's struggling, but uh, a little bit. I wouldn't say he's struggling a lot, uh, and I don't think he's been that bad. I, I just You just see a goaltender in Jack Campbell who's playing really well. He's been a really good backup, and this is why you brought him in. And going forward, if he's going to keep winning – and Freddie isn't at the time, then keep playing Jack till he goes in a funk, and then you'll have Freddie ready. Yeah, I don't have a problem with saying Jack Campbell played well yesterday because he did for the most part, even though the both times he played the puck were a disaster, especially the first one. I I didn't understand why he needed to play it on the second one, which was being said in the broadcast. That, that didn't register with me. But, yeah, he played the Senators, and they had a basically third period where he didn't face a shot. It was a fine performance. It's not one where you're dictating the net or he somehow kept the net Who more said that? or whatever no, the hell. Is it? Well, you kind of made it seem like it's no, been I didn't. this I massive he win had, for him. He had – it was his first opportunity. I mean, and Frederick Anderson is out, so it's not really fair. But this is the, – the narrative is leading to him getting a chance to roll with the number one goalie position. He came away with a victory. And I thought the biggest – improvement in net was the fact that the Ottawa Senators went 0 for 3 in the power play mostly because he made a massive save especially at the end of the second period mostly he was their best penalty the killer yeah he, he did and you know what back to the little the second part with Campbell the first one I think was obviously clearly the onus is on him he's got to go to his backhand but that that second one a lot of goalies try to go out of the net there when it's in that soft area just to poke the puck away from a guy who's oncoming. I think that was just an unlucky play. I don't think that really lies square on him. It's more the first one I would blame on Jack. But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at him stepping up to the plate, he definitely did last night. It's not easy to just go in and win an NHL hockey game when the pressure's on. He's done an incredible job, and I've, I've really liked what Jack Campbell's done. But now you got to put it into context when I'm hearing that, well, now Freddie is not, uh, he's not the goaltender of Toronto. Well, he still is the goaltender of Toronto. You give Jack everything. You let him roll with these wins. You keep him in the net as long as you can while he's hot. Let Freddie get better. 
and that's that. It's it's not like you got to get rid of Freddie. Yeah, I don't think they will get rid of Freddie Anderson. To me, it's just a scenario where Jack Campbell can buy himself more starts, and he can fight for the first game of the postseason. It's going to be hard for him to take it, I believe, but I, there's a roadmap now. And it does start with this three-game set, and it certainly does start with the way he performs against the Oilers. That, to be honest, the Jack Campbell thing yesterday was it was okay. I thought he had played a good game. He made a couple of good saves. I would say a few of them were solid to very good. For the most part, it was a pretty low-danger game for him where he didn't have to ask to do anything brilliant, and he sort of put them behind the eight ball with a pretty boneheaded play to start it. The big issue to me yesterday, or the big topic, was – that Leafs team floated through a lot of that game. And it felt at times like a preseason game I was watching where the energy was just so, so low. The officiating was not very good. And I, I do want to talk to you about that, Chris, because I think you're one of the guys that's really started this conversation we've been having about officials recently. But it was a poorly, poorly, poorly officiated game, especially in the third. I thought Toronto drew like three or four penalties in a row that went uncalled. But this is a team where we said we were judging them in the regular season, and this is a team that we expected to just beat the wheels off of the Ottawa Senators routinely. And the fact that that's not happening, that they need uh, tipped shots from Jason Spezza to go in the net for them to beat Ottawa, uh, that's a bit concerning, I got to say. That the way that they have played as of late, the sample has grown to a place where they have not been as consistent or looked nearly as sharp as they did earlier on in the season. And I wonder if I'm making too much of that, and if I'm not, what you attribute it to. Well, the power play at the start of the season was humming at like 35%. They just had so much swagger that fed into their five-on-five game. I mean, John wasn't scoring five-on-five, but he was scoring at the power play at the start. So now when your power play dries up a little bit, you don't see the swagger and the confidence on it, it can leak into the rest of your game. Now, when I'm looking at them last night, yeah, you could go on the officiators. I, I don't, I'm going to go into that in a second. But if I'm looking at the Leafs lineup, and, and you see that Zach Hyman played 14 and Pierre Engvall played eight, and then like, you can't have your so-called third-line center play eight minutes a game, ever especially coming down the stretch. So that, that tells me right there, you need to go out and get someone to fill that third-line center hole. You also, for me, if Alex Galchenyuk's playing with John Tavares and William, William Nylander, that's not the right combination either. You need to get John. I still believe you got to get John with Hyman and Mikhaev, two guys that can drive the play down the ice, get him into the O-zone, and get his feet moving. So I, I just don't really... I, I like that Wayne Simmons has been up there with with Mitch and I think you could rotate Wayne and Joe who's ever going better at the time with Austin and Mitch but that second line wing with John like I I like how Alex is playing he's playing a lot harder he's going to the net but at the end of the day you need guys that are really flying down the ice guys that are confident Mikhaev confident you can't be playing Mikhaev and Hyman center eight minutes a night if I'm looking at if I'm looking at the stat sheet so I think that kind of bleeds into the game guys in their depth aren't as confident always because they're not getting the minutes and they actually are the ones who scored yesterday the first two goals. But if I'm just seeing that, that's probably the issue for me is how are you going to get John going? Who are the guys that you're going to put him with to get him going? And I think you need to uh, – I think we talked touched on this three weeks ago. you got to get Willie off that line, give Willie some more freed-up uh, offensive starts, whether it be uh, with I, – I don't want him to be a Kerfoot. I would like them to go out and get someone else that can play with him on the third line but give him some different matchups where he could kind of play his whole game and you could let John go back to doing what he does great with guys like maybe Hyman or Makaev. So I think it's their lineup that's kind of messing with a little bit of their mojo right now. 
But as they go on, I, I hope they keep getting better because they do have a good team. We've talked about this before. They're really solid. I think they need a third-line center. They need another depth D-man, and I think they're going to be a really, really hard to get out in, four, er, in, in the seven-game series. I still really like the team, too. But last year, we talked a lot about how the blue line had good players, but none of them really fit together. And I feel the same way about the forward group this year where they've got a lot of good pieces, but none of them really fit. Outside of, okay, yeah, you can put Austin Matthews with Mitch Marner. That's going to work out great. I don't like Pierre Engvall as a third-line center. I don't like the way that he plays with those two guys. I like Jason Spezza. They keep cycling through who Jason Spezza plays with every night to the point where it almost feels unfair. Alex Kerfoot, they can't figure out what to do with him. They're like, Three and are and you a million-dollar fourth-liner. Four, are you a fourth-liner? Are you a third-line center? Are you a second-line winger? It he's, doesn't, if, he's a third-line third wing. Right. He's a, a third-line wing, and then that's the, he's playing center. He's not a centerman. We've been saying this for a year and a half now. And that's yep. where, if I'm looking at someone you could fill the third-line center, if you could go out and get him for a, like a small prospect, would be say a Luke Glendening. He's not going to blow your socks off. He's not, but you know what he can do is he's a right-hand shot who can take a lot of face-offs, D zone. He's really hard to play against. And now you can move Kerfoot maybe to the, the wing on that line, or you can move him up, even say with Austin and Mitch at times, you know, or you, if he's feeling hot, or you can move him down. He's a guy that fills holes in the lineup. He's very versatile, and I think Kerfoot's very valuable as a versatile player. He's not necessarily just a third liner or a second liner. He can go in and out of your lineup. But you need to find those guys that are stabilizers in each line, and they don't have that stabilizing third line center. I still would like them to play Spezza more, too. I mean, I've been yeah. asking for free Spezza since playoffs last year. Yeah, You're a captain of that team. And and it really does feel – got to tell you, though, if it wasn't for free Spezza right there at the end, I would have thought Mike Babcock had you I at gunpoint yeah. with the Luke Glendening thing. <laughs> we like, did Luke Glendening. We did a week of shows on yeah, Luke Glendening. We did a lot of Luke Glendening shows. Like, that's been done. That's been done many times before here in this market. It was just with the uh, with the different coach. Yeah, I, I would like it if Alex Kerfoot shot the puck. Um he feels he looks like a guy who's terrified to shoot every single time he's got an opportunity. He's not a centerman. He makes three and a half million bucks. Yeah, to me, he's just the uncomfortable domino where, yeah, if you've got him at a million five and you can comfortably play him on the wing and he knows he's going between three and four, then great. But, yeah, he's just eating up too much salary and he's getting too much role and they really need to figure out what to do with him because... It, it feels like the guy is clogging up a lot of different things as to what they can do in a trade market and what they can do just with this roster flexibility. So maybe it just does come down to that one move. You had a third-line center, you subtract Alex Kerfoot, maybe you're calling up Robertson or you're hopefully trying to connect on some type of winger in the trade market, but that, that's just the way it feels to me right now is that he's the domino that won't fall. Well, I mean, yeah, you're probably not going to get return unless you retain the salary on him. That, and again, no, you got to pay draft picks to dump him. I think. Yeah, you probably would. So, I I don't know. Looking at the lineup, what their cap space is, it's really hard to do things. He would be the one that would free up enough for you to do what you want to do. So maybe that would be something with Detroit, where you could take a guy like Glenn Denning on, and you have to give a draft pick again the other way with them. So I don't know. That's just me. I'm not an insider, guys. I'm an analyst. Okay, I'm not um, texting anyone for inside information. Not, gonna it's not too late. I, I, yeah, not too late. You're right. But I, I, 
that you're right. So I don't also mind Alex. I actually really like how he plays. Again, as for a guy who's going to be versatile, can play other positions that a lot of guys can't. A lot of guys can only play one position. He can play all three, and that's very valuable. You know, sure. that's very valuable when he's confident and when he's going. So, yeah, it's, it's something that if you can't move him, understand what you got and have him going with certain guys when he's going and when he's not, you drop him lower in the lineup. Yeah, I don't want to be paying three and a half million dollars to Alex Kerfoot. He's very fast, I suppose. Uh, so that's uh, and like I said with the blue line, it's not about being a bad player. I don't think Tyson Berry is a bad player. He was a mm-hmm. bad fit, and it's yeah. the same way with Kerfoot. Where I don't think he's a bad player, he's a bad fit. Yeah, uh, a lot of the guys wearing the striped uh, shirts, they're bad fits uh, in Boy. what they do. Uh, Wayne Simmons. I, was going to blow a gasket, and rightly so. I mean, a blatant trip right behind the net. There were uncalled. three or four before that. Hyman got brutal. tripped. Yeah. And I appreciate the officials now covering their microphones when they address the, the players, and I assume it was to Wayne Simmons, hey, Wayne, I'm really bad. Like, I'm bad at this. Like, what do you want me to do? Mm. This is my, I'm doing my best, but I stink. Like, what's happening here, Chris? I'm going to tell you. Do you. So I'm coming after Kevin Biax on Hockey Central tonight. Watch it. Everyone watch it. Yeah. Um, nice. Number one, I'm going after Kevin. But so, do you guys believe in participation medals? Uh, no, no. You I know. have two kids. They're not getting a single one. I'll rip them out of their hands if they get one. Yeah, All right. Like uh, James Harrison, the former Steelers linebacker, who I think took snatched his from his kids at a soccer tournament and destroyed them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So you don't believe in participation medals. Kevin doesn't believe in participation medals. So now I'm going out to the superstars. Superstars get abused all game long. You're allowing the B and C players to play up to the A level or play up to the A level players play. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can do that is to allow them technically to participate within the game. So you're allowing them to do cheap things to the top players within the game, so-called within the rule book, which it's not within the rule book at all. And then if you look at the whole overall game, when two teams are playing each other, one team is clearly dominant, but the rest don't want to give calls to one team because it would be too lopsided then. So what are you doing? You're giving participation medals to Ottawa now because Toronto's dominating. So it's like, I'm not going to call this, or if I call this, now i got to call Ottawa. Or if New York's beating Philly 9 nothing, now i got to call. i got to make some calls for Philly now. i got to give them all participation medals, right? Yeah. So. If, if you don't like participation medals, then why are you okay with the rest dictating the feel of the game? Just call the rule book, regardless of the score, regardless of the time, just call the game. And then you don't get these issues. This would fix so many things. It would fix the taking care of the superstars. It would increase scoring. It would give players more predictability. And then again, it would get rid of your so-called participation medals that guys don't want. So just, just call the game right. Let the best players succeed. Let the best team succeed. It's not about evening it up. No, it's not. And the NHL loves to compare itself to the NBA at times where they say, well, we're a better league because of X. And one of the frustrating points in the NBA is people complain about quote-unquote superstar calls. But do you know why there are superstar calls in the NBA? It's because the NBA does not want to discourage LeBron James going in for dunks. They don't want to discourage Ben Simmons going to the rack. They want to encourage that. And so when a guy who normally hits layups uh, is missing one, the referee tends to go, well, maybe that guy missed it because of this. And when a guy like Zach Hyman, who right now is playing like a superstar, like at least an all-star, I don't know how else to put it, but he's driving a line and he looks 
like one of the Leafs' best forwards every night, when he goes and does a face plant in the offensive zone as he's basically skating circles around guys and possessing the puck and trying to set up his team, my guess is that you probably want to look at that and maybe give him a call, especially when you've blown a bunch in a row. I thought that the response to the firing of Tim Peel was one of the saddest things I've ever seen where hockey fans go, that's part of the game, evening the calls is part of the game. It shouldn't be part of the game. It's a unbelievably stupid part of the game to the point where I genuinely believe deep down in my heart they should fire every single ref in the National Hockey League and completely go from scratch. How could it be worse? Just go get a bunch of amateur refs, tell them the deal, call the rule book. None of you guys have any relationships. None of you guys have, you can keep West McCauley, I guess, because that's the one ref that nobody can <laughs> say is bad. But everybody else is gone. It's just a start from scratch. The next time these guys have a negotiation up, it's over and you're going with a whole new set of guys because the game is officiated in such a horrific way right now It's that it's actually hard to watch. Well, I, I'm, I mean, I did not want to see anyone lose their job. I'm going to say I that. Do. Fire and all I the refs. <laughs> and I actually do believe a lot of these refs, there's a ton out there, Wes McCauley, all these guys are very, very good refs. But they've been refing a certain way because it's just how it's been since forever. But that's so what I'm saying. You can't break those habits now. They're too far down that road. Need, need young bloods with no habits. I, I disagree. I think if you tell them, call the game, they're that good. These guys are that good. Mm. They, can, they, they see things that's at disgusting. fast times that happen. If you tell them, this is the risk. you're not playing anymore. You can tell the truth, buddy. I, like, you can I, tell the truth. I believe, trust me, I played in Sweden, and you want to see bad refing, you go to Sweden. Sure actual bad refs there's yeah. not the, the, the thing is there's not that many great refs out there and they're all in a lot of them are all in the nhl they really are and they're good enough to where you could tell them there's a rule book follow the rule book don't worry about evening things up just call it this way and again you go if you want to see refs go watch sweden you'll think this no. is unbelievable <laughs> um, not doing I'm that homework you. yeah we'll not we'll not be watching yeah. sweden pass hard pass yeah, how yeah, about I, just evaluate these guys at the end of games like like every other sport does? Have a I, critical I do evaluation. That. I, think they, I think they do do that, but it's been on the old merit. It's been on, yeah. well, you know, it's you guys did a good call here. It was a good makeup call. I'm sure I don't know really what it is, but there is there's refs in the sky every game. They're, they're ranked every game. They have their system, but that's where the PA and the NHL and especially the GMs because the GMs control everything in NHL where other sports they don't. They control it and dictate the rules of the game. They got to say, just call the rule book. Mm -hmm. If Tampa Bay's beating up on um, Dallas and if 10-1, say one game, and they keep getting penalties because they're that much better, that's just how it is. Just keep giving Tampa Bay because that's the rule book and it just affects everything. That's the greatest indictment is if you look at the top teams in the NHL and how many power play opportunities they've gotten against how many times they've been shorthanded, they're all like within five, right? Like they're all super close. How how does that make any sense that the best team in the NHL isn't getting more power play opportunities? How are we at this point where we're saying, yeah, hey, referees, call the rule book. What? (laughs) What? That's (laughs) the advice is do your job. Day one on referee school. (laughs) And I I truly think like Tim, Tim Peel's been a ref for 20 years. And obviously, he was retiring at the end of this year. But I think if you told Tim at the start of this year, like, this is the rules, this is what you have to call within the rule book, Tim would be fine at it. He's been a ref long enough to understand the rules. It's just, it's been like that for so long that that's how it is, right? And, and again, back to Wes McCauley. Don't take, like, him doing these things is so entertaining. I love listening to Wes call penalties. 
You know? I mean, imagine if, like, Tampa Bay was playing against Florida and they're winning 10-1. He'd be calling 15 penalties a game like that. It'd be even more entertaining. Okay, yeah, you lost me. Let's watch. you, Buddy, the refs listening to you now are so thrilled. They're like, yeah, Chris, we are the show. This guy gets it. We're the reason people watch these games. Let's go. I heard the argument. Everyone's like, oh, you know, um, because – like, you know, if there's an NFL game on and then your game goes three hours because there's so many penalties, I got to flip over to the NFL game. Well, you know what happened in 2005? Everyone hooked. Everyone was, you know, literally holding each good. other. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there was 20 penalties a game and about 10 games in, it started to go down and down because guess what? If the players can't play within that set of rules, you find other players who can. That's yeah. just how it is. And there's a lot of players out there that can play within the set of rules that are just given by the rule book. I'd love to see it. Haven't seen it so far. Uh, Chris, always great to talk to you. Great stuff, bro. Uh, Looking forward to tonight, you versus BXO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I (laughs) hope you're not in ref meetings. Yeah, I'm going going after Kevin. Yeah, also the refs. Hope that. See you, you, Chris. (laughs) See you, boys. Uh, Chris Versteeg, former NHL forward. I can tell you from experience, having created two lives, that being at the birth of something, being at the genesis of something, is special. We were all there for the birth of the Pierre Dorian throwing the drink gif. It's now in our lives forever and ever and ever, and every time we see it, which will be daily... I think, if not hourly going forward, at least in the immediate future, we'll, we'll all have this communal shared experience that we were there. We saw it. We saw a team that was in a clear rebuild mode, coming off a couple of wins against the Calgary Flames, already achieving more than anyone expected for them, pushing the vaunted Toronto Maple Leafs to overtime, and then losing in the final seconds of overtime infuriate their GM so much that he chucked which appeared to be like water with lemon in it? I don't know. Somebody had to clean that up too. But what a gif. Incredible, incredible moment yesterday. I love it. I genuinely love it. This guy wants to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Wants his team to beat the Leafs and he's pissed when they lose and he's not happy with trying to get a lottery ball when he knows that everyone's watching his team tonight and they have a chance to kind of embarrass or upset the front runners, the team that everyone said was supposed to kick their ass all year long. Sens have done ec- extremely well against Dude, Toronto the, over the last couple of years. Everybody except for the Oilers. They're yeah. 0-7 against the Oilers. They've kind of they've hung in against everybody mm-hmm. else in the division. And don't look yeah. now, Calgary and Vancouver, like they're inching up towards you. Yeah, it, part of that is complete failure and ineptitude on the parts of those two franchises. Again, Calgary and Vancouver. Boy, remember when we went into this season, we were making the case that Vancouver might be the team that you want to be moving forward if you're picking all these Canadian teams. Not the one that was going to necessarily win this division. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it was going to be a stretch for them to make this the, the playoffs this year, given their offseason. But just the core pieces and the direction of the franchise looked really, really good. Now, I think Calgary would probably be the franchise I would least want to be in this division, in the North. 
After that, it would be Vancouver. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, and here's the deal. We thought that this division would be fun to see those mediocre teams battle for the final mm-hmm. playoff spot. It's over. Like, it's done. Mm-hmm. We know the four playoff teams already yeah, with, with you know, uh, not quite 30 games to go in the regular season. Most teams have about 23 left to go. But Vancouver is two back of Montreal. But Montreal has six games in hand, and who knows how this COVID pause is going to affect that, but that's six games in hand. And then Calgary behind them, four points back, and three games in hand Montreal has on the Flames. So those teams are done. They should be selling. Even though the the quarantine is now cut down to seven days, which you're probably right. Kyle Dubas had an inkling about why he hasn't pulled the trigger on some of these trades. But yeah, it's, it's, it's over. It sucks. Like that, that idea of, of that final playoff spot, so much riding on it, it's true, but it's, it's not going to be a battle down, down the stretch, it doesn't look like. I, I don't know. You've pro- you're probably right. It doesn't look like that. I wouldn't say it's over yet. We're getting pretty close, though. Going to have to do something if you're Calgary that's pretty significant over the next little stretch. I, I don't think Vancouver's good enough. I, I just don't. I at least think with Calgary... They're a weird team because you look at them and see the talent on paper and think they should be better. And especially given the goaltending tandem and everything, top to bottom with their team, they're 100% the most disappointed fan base this year. I know Vancouver had high expectations, but at least you can sell yourself on having young blue chippers that you're still building around, right? There's, and you still have been out. Right. There's still reasons where you have Pedersen and Hughes, which is infinitely better than anything that Calgary has moving forward, I would say. And now you've got the Johnny Goudreau. You don't know if he stays or if he goes. It's been a year where the fan base has kind of turned on Matthew Kachuk and where he's had drama with his own teammates and they well, pulled and the, the lever of bringing in. Right. They pulled the. Him. Yeah, I, it's not good there. That is not a good situation. And. I, it's weird. I, I remember reading something not too long ago where the case was being made about how the North Division is not good because teams are acting too wild and coaching decisions are being made and blah, blah. Like, that's what I want in my pro sports. I, I love this. The, the sprint to the finish has been incredible. It's going to be very hard for me to recalibrate watching an 82-game hockey season again. I love hockey, but this format where there's the added urgency of wins – and the added urgency of beating the teams from Canada when you know more eyeballs are on you and where rivalries and emotions take place. It's been brilliant. It's been unbelievable for the NHL. They've really nailed it this year. And it's so disappointing to know they're going to go away from it. But that Calgary's pulled that lever, I think, tells you the next one is going to be extremely drastic with the roster. And... Fans are going to be clamoring for things. I don't know if Trey Living is going to be given an opportunity to be the guy that pulls them out of this. If he's going to be the one who's going to be making the trades where they're shipping out some of their core pieces and trying to shuffle the deck chairs or get younger or whatever. But um, I, I love the urgency of this season, and I love the pressure that it's put on these teams, and I love the pressure that it puts on the Maple Leafs, and it's why uh, we we talked about it a little bit with Versteeg, but... We've gotten lost in a few things lately. One is the breaks for the Maple Leafs. Two is the goaltending controversies and the play of Frederick Anderson. Three is the trade deadline approaching where you're hoping that Toronto is going to be acquiring a big-ticket player in a big-ticket season. Team hasn't looked very good lately. 
it, they've had some moments. They've had some games. But we came into this year, and it was about a few things. Consistency and maturity. And for a while, especially coming out of that Oilers series, you really did feel like anybody using the argument of, well, they haven't played the best teams was being a little foolish because you could watch hockey and evaluate teams and say, well, uh, yeah, maybe it's not going to be that easy, but a team that's playing that way is going to be competitive against anybody. The Tampa Bay Lightning are not walking through the Toronto Maple Leafs that, that showed up against we the Edmonton the Oilers. We did the exchange rate. We said, right. yeah, okay, maybe the Oilers aren't the Lightning, but they're, okay, so maybe they only barely beat the Lightning or hang with the Lightning because they just destroyed the Oilers. They destroyed teams. They destroyed the Jets, even though they only split the first two games and the third game was their worst. We, we can do that. We can take yeah. our Canadian dollars and convert them to American. Right. I haven't seen that team since the Edmonton series. We've seen flashes of it. We've seen some games against the Jets where they were putting it together, and you could say those games were on the goaltending. Uh, last night, again, it looked like the Leafs of old, where they looked soft. And I'm not saying they're soft in terms of they need to go get more fighters. They were just soft on pucks and soft on energy and kind of coasting through a lot of that game. And it felt like a classic Leafs game where they're just waiting because they know they can turn it on at some point. And they're watching Zach Hyman drive all game long and Austin Matthews do his thing all game long and believing that at some point they're just going to be able to rip together three goals. And, okay, good. They pulled out the win. Wasn't an impressive win. I'm sorry. We're, we're, you said we're judging style points this year. Uh-huh. Style points weren't there for me, even though the they should have gotten more penalties. And even if they had gotten more penalties, they've 0 of 16 on their power play for the last little bit. If this trend can do, we're back to this. Like the this Toronto Maple goal. Leafs, the Toronto Maple Leafs can't score on the power play again. That's a pretty big issue. At least the other special teams is headed in the other direction because they th- killed three penalties. And I, I mentioned in my evaluation of Jack Campbell, and you can't do this game to game, but the yeah. biggest difference between the two goalies at this moment is one's making the saves on the penalty kill and the other's not. You know, over that span of six losses in seven games, how many games came down to special teams? Four. Three times the least lost one goal games in which they gave up at least one power play goal. And one time it was the final Vancouver game. They lost by two, and they gave up two power play goals. The difference between this slump existing and not existing is getting one save per game on the penalty kill, which they have not received. They yeah, got I feel it. like you want to do this thing and you kind of load it up for it, this whole power play. Like, yeah, no one's debating that. You're, are you disagreeing with what I'm saying with the other stuff, with the style points? So yeah, you, you, think like... that the Leafs, you think the Leafs have looked just A-OK in that they look like a, a Stanley Cup contender right now no, to you? No, that I they're just that... a, they're a power play save away from – because that, that's the case I'm making. I'm not making the case of they can't beat teams in the North Division in regular season games with more saves. The case I'm making is that they have not looked like the cup contender that they looked like throughout the Oilers series. And you kind of moved big, on to this other thing. I would say that the biggest difference between the way they look now and the way they've looked at their best this season is in the offensive zone. But I think defensively in limiting chances, because there was not, like Jack Campbell didn't have to do much. I think that's this been team. A1 still. I, I, and I, I think that's, by and large, the way they looked for the majority of the season. Like, basically before the Oilers series, when they were racking up wins and wins and wins, it was like one-goal games, and it was Austin Matthews scoring every single 
game, but it was no mm-hmm. short. It was uh, no odd man rushes the other way. It was no turnovers in your own zone. It was no stupid plays, and it was just being sound defensively. They didn't honestly overwhelm too many teams during that stretch, like basically nope. before the Oilers series. And then, again, I felt like they overwhelmed the Jets in those first two games of that three-game series. Yeah, I think, honestly, by and large, this is how this team's looked this season, which is not overwhelming offensively, controlling the play, and not allowing anything defensively. They, the, I have zero problems with the team defense. And again, yesterday, same thing, where Jack Campbell had to make a couple of saves. He deserves credit for them. He went long stretches without having to. And part of that, actually, he deserves even more credit because you can get cold and you feel a little disengaged with the game. But There's Millions uh, of injuries lock up, and yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many times did you feel like the Leafs were in danger last night? Three? None. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the power play. He made the one. He made the, the big pad yeah. save on the penalty kill. There was one at the beginning of the second period, too. I th- there was honestly three chances mm-hmm. that he made better than average saves on. And Ottawa and missed, some, missed the net a, a few times, uh, like where they really did have some some clean looks, and Tadnov was bad in that game. But the point about Toronto in the offensive zone, I think, is a really good one, where they get those zone entries, or they'll have possession of the puck in their end for a while, but they don't they don't have a high conversion rate, it seems like, of turning those entries and that control into dangerous moments. Yeah, yeah they don't finish the sentence. They they write this incredible prose, and yeah. you go on this ride, and you're like, oh, look at this author, and then it ends with, oh, where's the ending? Mm-hmm. Like, this, It's nonsensical. And their best finisher still is not finishing at the rate that he once was, and I know the pass was into his skates, Mm. Uh, and it's not perfect, but I, I, you can't tell me that prime Austin Matthews this season, early Austin Matthews, doesn't find a way to get that to the back of the net. It's funny watching him play right now because he's doing 85% of the things. Or, sorry, 100% of the other things, I would say. The the play in overtime was Overtimes. lucky. That, the, overtime was hilarious. The guy well, shoots the... the puck right at him. It's the one place. Do you know? You must know this from golfing. I know this from disc golfing. That's why I'm, I'm going to use a, 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 a corollary between the two. I know sometimes when I'm throwing a disc and I say, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree, don't hit yeah. the tree. It's yeah, like, it's I'm going to hit this tree. And I imagine it's the same with uh, playing regular golf. I haven't done that since I was, I think, 14 years old. So. If you say in your mind enough time, just miss the tree, miss the tree, miss the tree, you're going to hit the tree. Yeah. Ball golf. No, ball golf. No, you called it regular. You you roll the tape back. You called it regular golf. (sighs) All right. Well, that hurts. I don't like to hear that. I thought that defenseman who tried to make that play, he was saying, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree with Austin (laughs) Matthews, and he hit the tree. But he's doing a lot. He's still handling the puck well. He's still making plays, but... Mm -hmm. There was one moment yesterday with Matthews where he bl- he breaks in and it's a one-on-one. And I've seen him time and time again. I've seen him time and time again use the defensive player as a screener for the goalie and rip one of those Austin Matthews wristers far down. And that's not what happened on that play. And we have yet to see that play. We're still missing the, oh my God, did you see that release? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, did you see him rip that? And as every game goes on, 
I feel worse and worse about it. And I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into seeing the other stuff and connecting it to the wrist shot and saying that it's fine when really you need the wrist shot. You need that rip. Yeah, no, instead we're saying, oh, my God, did you see that stick handle? Which he did, like, after kicking the puck out of midair on the aborted three-on-one in overtime, like, getting past the defenseman and basically setting up the Justin Hall goal. We see that still daily. But you're right, the the idea of, of the shot uh, being one that blows us away. Still haven't seen it. But uh, congratulations to the Leafs. You beat the worst team in the division. Uh, you made Pierre Dorian throw his water uh, against the wall, turned him into a gif. Um, and now you got a couple of tougher games coming up against the Edmonton Oilers and uh, Jack Campbell trying to stay perfect on the season. WWE WrestleMania coming up starting Monday. You can Love enter for the chance to win a virtual meet and greet with a WWE superstar on April 7th. In order to enter, you must be listening to Lead Off on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. Find more details at sportsnet.ca slash 590. 